everyone and welcome to the Winging F1 podcast, Sao Paulo Grand Prix review. And we are here, I am here, I'm presenting and editing this podcast. So who knows what's going to happen? Well, two people that don't are my co-host, Freddie Coates and Nigel Chu. How are you both? What did you think of the Sao Paulo Grand Prix in Brazil, in Sao Paulo at Interlagos? Very good. Very much enjoyed the Sao Paulo Grand Prix weekend. Happy. <laughs> I'm happy and I very much enjoyed the Sao Paulo Grand Prix weekend. I just did the reverse of what Freddie did there if anyone didn't realise. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> the first question, I'm not happy now. <laughs> first question I have for you, Nigel, is did you enjoy the sprint race? Yeah, it was by far the best sprint race so far, yeah. Out, out of the six, yeah, definitely. Has it changed your mind on the sprint races? Uh, no, no, it doesn't. Because okay. one race doesn't change my mind. No. Well, if you want to see what Nigel's mind was before and seemingly after the Sao Paulo Grand Prix sprint race. Just speak to anyone else about what their mind was last week because it's the same opinion as everyone's been saying all year. Or you don't have to speak to Nigel because his and my opinions on it are already up on the Winging It YouTube and Spotify channels. So have a look at that. It's only 10, 15 minutes. So hopefully you'll Wherever you get your podcast. Not just Spotify. It's actually 25 minutes because it got quite heated. (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, there we go. We can have another one in the off-season. But someone else who got quite heated. No, that's not a good link. But anyway, we're rolling with it because George Russell was red hot today as he took his first F1 Grand Prix win. He won the sprint race yesterday. He came close in Sakir in 2020. But this time, he didn't get it over the line. He held off Lewis Hamilton. He didn't really need to hold off. Max Verstappen because of stuff that happened in the race, which we shall discuss. But as always, we shall focus on the winner first. So, Freddie, what did you make of Russell's performance over the weekend? To be honest, he didn't put a foot wrong. All of the kind of normal stuff we'll say about a winner. But I think what really impressed me most was just the ease at which he took on the position. I mean, we've seen Russell dominate formula two races and gp3 races and the like on his on his rise and you know i think he just slotted back into where he left off in secure 2020 and with a car that was able to sort of fight and to be confident with the overtakes in the sprint and to hold himself there um well it, it, it there's nothing other way no other way to describe it than just poised and perfect up front yeah, I completely agree. It was a great for a great way to win your first race, I think. Uh he did all the right things. Uh and I had a good feeling about Mercedes going into the weekend and they had the car to beat and the drivers were both superb actually. I will say Russell was very fortunate because he did go off and qualify uh in Q three and then kept his place. I thought for many years that there should be a rule that if you cause a red flag, you lose your best lap time or something like that, which you have in other motorsport series. But that's I disagree. Well, I, I think that should happen. But he started uh, third in the sprint race. Uh, and he, after that mistake in Gorvine, like Freddie said, he didn't put a foot wrong, managed his tyres perfectly, didn't let Hamilton in, into DRS range in the final 10 laps after the final safety car restart, which was crucial as well. He nailed both safety car restarts actually in the race, which was impressive. So he showed, as he did in Saki, that he's a great front runner uh, and he'll definitely be contending for the championship if Mercedes have a good, have a good, have a good car next year. Mm. Yeah, I think, like you say, I mean, apart from qualifying as soon as it hit the weekend weekend then he was pretty much flawless um yeah he 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 handled everything like he needed to he pulled a great move on Verstappen you know he's yeah it, it was great to see the Mercedes battle Verstappen and see Russell battle Verstappen because we've not seen that so far and I think this you know we saw kind of how Verstappen's car or Verstappen plummeted after that I think Verstappen did quite a good job in holding off Russell as long as he did um but yeah once once he got past that then it was smooth sailing for him and yeah it was he he didn't let Hamilton in at the end as well which was what I found most impressive really that there wasn't Hamilton didn't even have chance to go for an overtaking move because he quickly pulled out to one second kind of hung around that for a lap and then yeah just kind of pulled the gap from there and that was that yeah, I think what kind of stood out to me for the whole weekend is just his imperiousness in the middle sector. 
that was where he was able to close on Verstappen and where he was where he was able to in the in, in the sprint and where in the final part of the race he was able to just hover that bit above this above Hamilton where he was holding Hamilton at arm's length was sectors one and sector three sector three he was able to kind of close up a little bit with um uh, slipstream a little bit but Russell was always able to then pull that back in the middle sector and that was where he was able to also close on Verstappen which proves that he just was just better and just had something there in that part of the lap that really helped him out but Russell, Russell was running slightly a bigger a slightly bigger rear wing than Hamilton like, only slightly which is why Hamilton was a bit faster well faster. then that was the right decision from him and his engineering team absolutely yeah so but, I don't think it's a but I think it's a oh and and yeah, but and mm-hmm. yeah, connect. Well, <laughs> speaking of that, do you think that decision, or is there anything else that Hamilton could have done differently to win the race? Could have not crashed into Max Verstappen. Um, he could have probably been in a better position in the queue in Q3. Um, but that all depends on sort of Mercedes and other teams and so on. Um, and there's for the most part, there's not really any other reasons why he would be behind George because. Um, on most of Friday and the early sessions of Friday, he of qualifying on Friday, he had the pace. So I think it is realistically, you could probably say, well, that George was in a better position in qualifying, but he made that work. And George made the sprint work. Hamilton made the sprint work, but George just was in was in the flyer, having a flyer on Sunday. Hamilton could have got a better start, but it wasn't a woeful start. Do you yeah, think he would have been in a better position to win if it wasn't for the Verstappen crash, if Verstappen had stayed with the front runners? Yes, because he, he wouldn't have dropped to eighth. So he would have actively have been in a better position up front and he would have had an, a better node to play in strategy rather than having to react to Perez. He would have been um, later on down the line. He would have been able to be in a better position to go long or to, to play a bit more of a part from his side and to have been... Um, to, have to sort of the let them race side of it to in Mercedes to have come out a bit more because they would have had a bit more security with a one-two than with just one out front. But do you think I... Verstappen would have been in the fight for the win if that had happened? If that hadn't happened? Difficult to tell. I think so, based on Perez's pace for most of the race. I think he definitely would have been a factor, definitely. I don't know whether how close he would have been, um, but I think yes. Yeah, I think so as well. I completely agree with every, everything Freddie said there. Uh, the two mistakes that say Alton made at the end of Q3, well, at the start of Q3, before the rain came in the red flag, that meant he was always on the back foot. And then his uh, clash with Verstappen, which I also believe was his fault, put him on the back foot even more. So he was always, always playing catch-up. The only thing he could have done with hindsight and during the race, I was thinking this was he could have gone for a very risky one stop type race. And then when the timing of the virtual safety car, which was a safety car for Norris, came out, he would have been that slightly fresher tires would have been close if he came out ahead of Russell or not. He wanted uh, to do that, obviously, but it took Roth Perez. He wanted yeah, to do yeah, that. He, he was yeah. he was suggesting in the race that he wanted to do that and he was complaining about the pit stop after the pit stop. Um, on published team radio um and but i do think you know if you it, it they were they were also kind of thinking we need to do a little bit of kind of yeah. normal strat here and yeah. i think there would have been a bit of hell to pay if they're actively long one stopped over the other one where they hadn't got a win this year if they were getting wins all over the place then maybe you can mess around a bit more but it's an interesting one because sometimes you also think you've got to throw everything at it. And the best way to do that is with different things with both drivers. Yeah, so I think I they think, must have been confident with George's win. I think he was in a position to just do anything. That's how I felt with Harold all weekend, because this is realistically his last chance to win, uh, unless you know, Mercedes are quick in Abu Dhabi, of course. So I felt like he should have just gone for it with a one stop. Should have tried, gone for it at the restart, but then Russell had an amazing restart so that he couldn't do anything. So those were his couple of chances, but he was just playing catch up too much and left himself too much to do overall. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think if it was any, and if it was any non-Mercedes driver um, that he was chasing who was on Russell's pace, then I think then they would have gone for the one stop, and I think that would have been the right thing to do. But they didn't, or I think even just waiting a bit longer um, 
you know, because it is Brazil. There's not safety cars on to irregularity there. So um, I still don't know because of the 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 amount that science, how close science was to Russell when Russell came out from the pits did lend itself to the offset working very nicely. And science was still pretty pacey towards the end after that. So I'm um, obviously he did pit under the safety car. So before then he was, he was very fast. So I, I, who knows? I, I don't, I don't know whether that, that would definitely have happened because I do think there were the offset from those who had done two stops already was very, very powerful. So, yeah. Well, I mean, once he pitted again, then he was never going to win. At least I think he was never going to win unless there was a safety car. And if there was a safety car, then the best thing to do would have been to stay out and then get the cheap pit stop anyway. So, yeah, it kind of consigned him to second at that point, unless he can battle past Russell. And as we said, um, Russell was way better than that. Um, Talking about his fantastic safety car restart, on the first safety car restart, he kind of, um, Verstappen, uh, sorry, Hamilton ended up very backed into Verstappen. Um, so I'm sure I've not watched it back, but I'm sure it was, um, yeah, kind of incidental. But he did screw over Hamilton at the first restart um, with how it went. And that led to the incident that Nigel has already referenced, which was definitely incidental, Hamilton by the way. And Verstappen coming together in the Centre S on the first lap after the restart. And yet again in Brazil, they came together. Nigel, you said you think it was Hamilton's fault. Freddie, do you concur? Yes, I thought I also said that, but yes, it's definitely his fault in my opinion. Oh, I think I, I all go on. Go on. I, I I do I do understand what the 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 argument is that Verstappen was going in probably a bit too hot there, but I think Verstappen was so far alongside that he had the right to go in quite hot there. Um, it wasn't like he was going in hot from way from only partially alongside. Um, Hamilton was turning to the apex, and Verstappen was. Um, more more than a long time he was practically side by side so well definitely side by side but practically completely side by side i should say so i I do kind of think um he was entitled to racing room in turn two the racing room he was granted in turn one but was but hamilton just turned to the apex and caused it was hamilton's turn to the apex that caused the collision between the two um, which caused damage to Hamilton and and Verstappen's drop to the back of the field. So Hamilton's door for that one. Yeah, it was very similar to Spa with Hamilton and Alonso for me, in that Hamilton didn't leave enough space. And I always think when you got two drivers side by side going into a corner, if another if another car's more than halfway up alongside, which Verstappen definitely was, the driver on the outside. All they have to do to not be at fault is to leave a car's width or enough room. Hamilton did not do that at all at Spa or in Brazil on Sunday. So it's his fault completely for that for me. Yeah, I I agree. I can see why the stewards came to their conclusion because I think they said that, I think, did they say Hamilton was more than half a car length ahead or the axles weren't level or something like that. So it was his corner, but I don't think that should be the case. Um, so yeah, I think he didn't leave the room and Verstappen was um, close enough alongside to um, to do that. But yeah, it's kind of, it's not really one that you can have as a racing incident. It kind of has to be one's fault or the other. So yeah, I can see where they followed the rules to get where they did but i think yeah kind of looking at the incident that's hamilton well it does it does kind of strike as if you're following the rules for that bit you're forgetting um sort of where the other car is to be honest um and sort of forgetting how racing works to be honest like I, i can get if if that was coming off as straight and verstappen was far back and sending it into that kind of position but that wasn't what happened so yeah. it feels like they've taken one instant and um, to take Nigel's line, you've got to look at the instant in isolation. They've looked at the incident in a different isolation to what they were looking at. And they've isolated some parts of the incident in the wrong way, in my opinion. And it wasn't the only FIA shambles of the day. Um, when lap cars had to overtake after the second safety car period, they said, these lap cars can overtake numbers 23 and six, which is Albon and Latifi. They didn't tell Sonoda to unlap himself. And then everyone was having a bit of a fluff as to why Sonoda hadn't unlapped himself. And it was because he was yeah. told not to. So Alpha 
Lowry presumably were having a bit of a hang on a second. Why have we lost two positions to the Williams and haven't been allowed to unlap ourselves? Um, or one position, sorry, because Alvin was ahead. And then essentially had no opportunity to fight back in the way that the Williams did do. And so that's another example of the FIA being a shambles in this race. Um, and it just, you know, it wasn't the cleanest weekend again. Again. <laughs> At least you could at least think for a messy weekend they can at least see when a driver just drives into the other one. But they they saw it and, and thought, oh well, the driver who's driven into the driver has actually been driven into by the other driver. Bloody hell! Yeah, I think it's it's one where maybe ha- having the very specific rules or regulations or guidelines was where the problems came from. Really, um, I don't even think it was that. I just genuinely think it was just looking at it really wrongly. I'm loving this, Freddie. I'm like, this is usually me. This is usually me every two or three podcasts. But Freddie's taking the mantle here. I love it. <laughs> but I, I don't think I'm talking nonsense. No, you're talking sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah. And that I, wasn't the only... Get me to Brazil. That wasn't the only incident that Verstappen was involved in either because at the end of the race, then he was told by Red Bull to let... Sergio Perez passed for sixth place, um, so he didn't, which which means that Leclerc is ahead of Perez um, for second place in the championship. They're on the same points, I think, by virtue of wins um, for Leclerc. But Verstappen had the chance to let him through for a, what is a minor place to someone who's won 14 races this season and didn't. And afterwards, he just said, well, I've explained this to you before um, and basically said, I don't have to explain myself on team radio. I just made the decision to do it, and that's that, which is an interesting look for, yeah, someone who's been helped by Perez in the past a fair bit. Um, Nigel, what did you think of this one? Well, yeah, and Red Bull and Verstappen, well, Horner and Verstappen have kept very tight lips to the media afterwards, not specifying what, why Verstappen didn't let him through. It probably goes back to Monaco, there's some reports that Perez intentionally crashed and has admitted this to Helmut Barco and Christian Horner, who and Verstappen obviously now knows this, which explains a lot as to why Verstappen didn't do it, and why, why Verstappen didn't let him through. Uh, bit of context for Monaco, uh, Perez was third, Verstappen was fourth in qualifying, but Perez crashed on the final run to Q3, uh, so then no one could improve their times, and then Perez went on to win the race after Ferrari's strategy blunder. So it goes back all the way to that in May. The Shafford has clearly remembered that somehow. Uh, but the championship's over. It was for a minor place. And surely, for the future, if you're Perez, you're thinking, oh, why should I help this guy when he didn't help me? And I, I know it's only for second place in the championship and they might resolve things, but the Shafford should have let him by, really. It was a bit of an idiotic move not to, I think. It's it's a really odd one that that's the motivation that we're touting. I mean, Nigel, you said that was said on Dutch television um, to us, I think. And it's a weird place to crash deliberately, A, from third, when the two Ferraris are ahead, I would he say, He did a really Monaco. good job of doing it as well, because no one thought that was intentional at the time. It wasn't Rosberg or Schumacher at Monaco-esque, was it? Yeah, the Schumacher one, bloody hell. Um, if you, uh, yeah, just madness and but he wasn't defending pole so i still find that hard to believe personally yeah. um and it's yeah it's a really strange one from verstappen and it's a really strange one that the pictures of them after the race involved quite visibly serious conversations between mm. um christian horner max verstappen jam perry lambiassi is race engineer and raymond vermoulin who's um max's t max's personal manager so you know, it represents the Verstappen camp and all of the kind of legal things, of course. So if they're getting into that kind of discussion, who knows what's being either threatened or what's being brought up or what's being brought back or laid at anyone's door. Um, whether it's a fine for Verstappen internally or something like that, we don't know, but that will all be internal until Checo writes a book. Um, but it's... In Spanish. <laughs> it, but it's what you're saying. It makes perfect... Exactly. It's, it's a minor position. Like There are times when you can and can't really sort of disobey team orders and if you're fighting for a win and it's really you know means a lot and that kind of thing then it's more understandable to defy team orders to go for a win than for a sixth place like 
I can understand multi 21 a lot more than I can understand this. So it's, it's just a bit of an odd, it's an odd battle to pick. And when you've got, you've got drivers that can be so sort of desperate to have the, the favor of their teammate, I think, um, Schumacher actively gifted wins to Barrichello. Senna did the same yeah. with Berger. And, you know, it's it's how you keep the team on side. And I, I, I think it's an interesting one. Granted, Perez was four seconds back. If he'd been all over the back of Verstappen, it would have made more sense. But because Verstappen had then a long run to the start-finish line and a double slipstream from Alonso and Leclerc, you can argue that it's probably better for him to try and fight for the fifth rather than fight for the fifth or sixth fourth place there um rather than fall back four seconds in the same way Leclerc wasn't uh, wasn't allowed to have science fall back four or five seconds um to let him buy that makes more sense in my book because obviously Alonso and Verstappen are right there for the Ferrari team orders disallow yep. um but like I can get if if from Verstappen side if he says well he can catch up to me I'll, I will get out of the way but he's not catching up to me I'm clearly faster I can't that's, that. that's all rubbish though about dropping back on the last bit of the straight. If you about Monaco 2017, was it Fiat and Ricardo or 15, 16, 15, 16 or 17? Yeah. Fiat and not Fiat. Was it, it, was, it, was, Fiat it was 15 because it was the only yeah, one they were teammates. 15. Sorry, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I know exactly the one you mean. It was fourth place. Yeah. But like, it's all about, uh, does that say, didn't it? Lose a very small battle in this case to win the war. And later on down the line, they for Schnappen needs Perez. Then, like, because of this, thank, frankly, bit a bit of ego, I think, from Verstappen, yeah, uh, to get on Perez, he's made a mistake here for me. But what, what's your thoughts, Adam? Well, yeah, that's kind of that's where I stand. I, because I think, I mean, firstly, I think it's just so petty from Verstappen and quite immature, to be honest. And for someone who's, you know, had we we've all talked about how he's matured in F1. He came in at a very young age, and he's had his maturity praised, you know, since last season or before that, really. And it's just such an immature move from him. But beyond that, I find it really interesting because Verstappen can do what he wants. Like fundamentally, if it ever comes to you know, if push comes to shove with Perez, then he's the one that's going to win every time within the team and within the team dynamic. So he can do what he wants. So that's why I find it really interesting is, you know, either he's made it on impulse or it's calculated, but either way, then, you know, he's decided that it's not worth having that goodwill from Perez, either because he wants to show his ego and that he's the boss in the team and that he can do what he wants, or because he wants to get back at Perez for a slight that may or may not have happened at Monaco, but I find it really interesting that he has made that decision because, you know, he has the choice and as much as, you know, he'll get backlash from it, we've all said it's the wrong thing for him to do, I believe, then you know, it's not at the end of the day, you know, he's still world champion, it's no real skin off his nose, Red Bull aren't going to punish him you know, in a meaningful way so for him to do that shows you know either he believes he's been wrong or he just believes that he can do it and get away with it and he doesn't really care what's going to happen or if he might need Perez later you know what the so you know what the kind of comeuppance will be there so that's what I think is really interesting about what it says about Verstappen's mindset and it's a massive surprise as well because you'd think these two get on and there's nothing no real tension between them because they're not exactly close in speed or in the championship of course and Perez helped uh, Verstappen in Turkey last year brilliantly to fend off out and then of course in Abu Dhabi to help with the safety car window and that kind of thing like, those are two massive things that helped Verstappen win his first title yes in controversial circumstances but you know forget that for, for now he moved aside in, this massively. year in Spain and Baku as well yeah so that for at least four or five times, Perez has helped him massively. Yet Verstappen can't uh, give him sixth place. Like, come yeah. on, man! It's a bit difficult, isn't it, to defend Max at all? Yeah, very, and, very. And you know, it it might come back to bite him. Sergio Perez yeah. is in that team until twenty twenty four. We'll see. It'll be fascinating if it does. It really would. <laughs> the great thing to do in this penultimate race of the year as well. Um, you know, it's going to be a longer off season now than it would have been for Rebel going in as double world champion. So, um, yeah, I think 
yeah, I think it's um, as a member of the Red Bull team, and as 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 Christian Horner rightly reminds a lot of the time, they've never finished one two in the championship before. Mark Webber never got to this these heady heights, so you know this is would they've still got more to achieve. So why not allow your team to achieve it? It just doesn't on the ground on the grassroots of the team. It just doesn't look very good from that side. I mean. Again, I think, you know, it shows maybe how much Verstappen cares or doesn't care about that. Um, you know, he's achieved his goal. So is he really thinking about those bigger things? Um, that may just be youth as well. But um, but yeah, in terms of it's not it's not a great look. And yeah, as I say, going into the offseason, there'll be a few more tricky conversations. Um, but that wasn't the only intra-team drama. There was a lot actually this weekend. There was the Alpines colliding, stroll forcing vessel onto the grass in the sprint race. Oh, yeah. And Ferrari, Leclerc wanted to be let past Science at the end, also for the yeah. um, battle for second in the Constructors' Championship. That would have been for, uh, sorry, in the Drivers' Championship. That would have been for third in the race. Um, he went on, I think, two or three uh, team radio calls um, that were broadcast um, to the Ferrari pitbull saying, you know, can we do this? We need to do this, whatever. And he trailed home, I think, three seconds um, behind Science. So, yeah, again, Freddie, you've got your microphone poised, ready. Yes, to well, I, I alluded to this one already. Um, Leclerc had Alonso and Verstappen within two, a second and a half behind him. If you're going to ask science to slow down and slot into that gap, it's a difficult job to then keep third and fourth. So I do actually think that makes quite a lot of sense. Mm, I, I think, do. <laughs> well, Ferrari should have told science to do it, but they didn't. And because they didn't, they kind of saved themselves a fight because do we think Sainz would have really dropped back? No, Sainz has had a mega weekend. Leclerc had been yeah. way off for two weekends now and Sainz has been the, definitely the better Ferrari. Uh, and if you think about the character's personality, would Sainz have done it? He would have said, no, it's pointless. It's second in the championship. It's not the main championship, is it? Yeah, exactly. So so I think Ferrari have saved themselves a fight with Sainz. So in that sense, they've kind of done the right thing. Although in general, but I also I'm think still... they have a leg to stand on without even needing to think about it from that perspective, personally. With 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 the fact that I mean, and we've seen in we've seen the coverage, you've seen the onboard of Max crossing the line, you've seen how close Alonso is to Leclerc. And that, you know, that is that is definitely um surely a reason to not try and mess around because Ferrari have been burned in the past with messing around with positions and things like that. So I, I think it was the right decision outright. I think, like you said, Nigel, I think it just saves a fight because you can, you know, there is a kind of finite, there's not a definitive number on it, but there is a kind of finite amount of times that you can ask someone to move aside or you can, you know, dent someone's ego, in this case, take a podium off them um, within a team. And I think it was like, like you said, Nigel, I think for second place in the championship, it's not, it's not the biggest Fries, and it's better to just save that kind of um, awkwardness and potential infighting or whatever for later down the line next season when hopefully they can be in a closer battle for the championship. You know, I don't... Yes, it would be, you know, it would be nice for Leclerc to get that second place, but I think there are bigger things on the horizon and keeping more team harmony um, is kind of the right decision, to be honest. And yeah, Leclerc isn't happy about it, but I think, you know, when... When he looks back, then they'll kind of think, well, you know, that was just one that maybe I have to eat for hopefully future game. I agree with what Ferrari did because of the characters of sides and because of what Freddie said with the situation of Lonzo being so close. Uh, sorry, Leclerc, yeah, Lonzo being so close behind Leclerc going across the line. But in general, I am for team orders, even if it is for second or third in the championship. So, Yes, in this situation, it's fine. But in general, team orders for me, I usually stand by kind of thing. That's, that's what I'd say on this, if that makes sense. That's interesting. I'm kind of generally... Yes. I generally even if it's for that. second and third, even if it's all for the Constructors... Even more so if it's for a lower position in the Constructors' Championship. Yeah, Constructors, you... yeah. Yeah, yeah all, even yeah. more so. If you're fighting for fourth in the Constructors, even more reason for team orders. Mm. Fighting for the win. <laughs> well, yeah, precisely. Even more reason for... It's more understandable for a fight for the win to obviously be a bit more between drivers. But 
when you're fighting for points, you're fighting for the team. So yeah, when they banned Team Orders for that period a while ago, now I wasn't a fan of it, and obviously I was a kid back then. But like, I've for me, F1 is a team game overall, and you know, obviously this is a wider discussion to have maybe maybe in the winter, but. Yeah, I've just always been for it, even if it is like minor, well, minor places. Was it two thousand and three they banned team orders, or like forty thousand? Yeah, it was after it was after the backlash at Austria mm. when Barrichello had to give up the win, um, yeah. second year in a row um, in the same Grand Prix, um, and there was just a big old backlash, and they said, "Well, you can't do that." And then they realised after Fernando was faster than you in twenty ten that it was actually quite hard to figure it out because. Um, they realised that quite a few team orders had been played anyway, just no one had found them. So, yeah. crucially, I think they, the, the the fun trivia for that is that if you watch the Australian Grand Prix um, in 2010, there's a fantastic moment where Felipe Massa is told Fernando is faster than you and gets out of the way and everyone's just like, well, whatever, that was just normal. And then it happens in Germany and it caused the biggest fuss of all that year when you had the press conference where the whole thing was just people calling Alonso dirty. And if he was champion, would he feel like he was a dirty world champion? I always remember that. And, yeah. and you know, it's just kind of like, then that quietly they said, yeah, you can do team orders again, like in 2011. So what, what, I mean, the, the original what, 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 reason I asked was because I was interested that Nigel said he remembered when they banned team orders because that was when we were... I, said, I, I remember I when they were banned, not yeah. when they banned them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't remember the specific moment when I saw it on like... The well, no, because you were two. Like, <laughs> you would have been watching yeah. TV before. <laughs> yeah. Oh my so. God, they banned team orders. Oh, Dad. Um, <laughs> Dad, what does it mean? What, I don't understand. Why is Michael Schumer... Yeah. Who is Michael Schumacher, Dan? <laughs> Whereas Freddie was already Actually, adolescent I... then, so he remembers. Um, also in 2008, uh, sorry, the 2007 Brazilian Grand Prix, um, that was, Massa was leading and then they switched. I was done through the pit stops though, yeah. like, quite cleverly. So it wasn't like but, on the track, it was like through fuel and stuff. Yeah. That was but, the yeah, right like, decision because they won the championship. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> but like, you know, is that's kind of, no one talks about that. People talk about the other big Ferrari one um, or the other other big Ferrari one. But yeah, I think in general, I do want to see teammates racing. Um, and I think for, for Alpine, I kind of get it a bit more if it's for the Constructor Championship. I think it if it is for the Drivers' Championship and you're racing against your teammate, then I kind of prefer to see that on you, I guess. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think... With Perez and Verstappen, it's a bit different because that's their dynamic, that Perez has helped out Verstappen a lot in the past, and that's kind of where they are, whereas Ferrari has a bit more kind of inter-team competition. But in general, I would like to see drivers racing. I was pleased when Mercedes said they would um, let their drivers race and kind of trusting that they would keep it clean. And obviously, if they didn't um, and they'd lost their only win of the season, then that would have been quite bad. But I think in general, you know, it's, it's treating chicken drivers like adults and kind of trusting them to keep it clean and I'm all for that and also obviously all for seeing drivers race and seeing you know the best drivers race each other so yeah well on the one hand you've got to allow them to race to then on the other hand trust them to listen to the team it goes both ways with that kind of thing but having said that about team orders they did provide one very very exciting not exciting Memorable moment, um, hilarious moment of the race when Esteban Ocon's engineer got on the blower to him to tell him don't race Fernando um, at the last safety car restart. And then he said, oh, well, but I want to race Vettel. And he said, no, don't race Fernando. He said, oh, well, yeah, I'll try. Um, and I really thought it was going to end in tears, but it didn't. Um, that was after the well. sprint race. That was after the sprint race where they'd touched and gone from starting sixth and seventh in the sprint race to sixteenth and seventeenth in the race, which is not a good look when you're fighting someone for fourth place in the constructors. But it came round well in the end. Um, Fernando came out afterwards and just said, "Well, I've got one more race left. <laughs> It'll be finally over." Um, I think. For me, the biggest worry is how is it going to go next season with Gasly? Because Ocon is still very headstrong. He just, this is kind of a bit of a theme with Ocon. Um, so, headstrong is the word. Yeah. Headstrong where, is the word. It's, uh, it's, how, it's a difficult one. How big a concern um, is this to Alpine, I guess, going into next season? Well, I don't know um, because they're still legitimately fourth in the constructors and they can still pull a result. So, um, 
it depends. They'll think they'll they'll they'll, they'll relish the break, um, and relish a position where they can just have drivers racing, and can regard it as less um, high stakes. Um, but I I I think you know the way Ocon was on the radio at that safety car period going into the restart was a bit kind of come on Ocon you got to just take a step back but he then he you know he, he did what he said and he got past two cars in that corner um so that, that you got to then back that because you know but i think you just got to say okay yeah you can do that Esteban but just remember when you're racing an alpine and when you're racing a alfa romeo because they're very different and it's it's the representation it goes back to what we were saying about Verstappen and the the sort of factory base and the base of the team and the the, the people building those cars at the weekend every weekend weekend yeah. out. So, and I, I don't think it's I think you know it happens across the the grid and you, you Aston Martin is one this weekend as well. You've got to kind of talk about this very seriously. Um, but in, in another as as we go team orders, but it's just kind of like team respect is the is basically the theme of this podcast. If we were to be thematically written about in an essay, it would be all about team respect. And it's, you know, they're, they're lucky Alonso did finish fifth today because yeah. they had an opportunity this weekend to go home pointless from, like Adam said, some very good sprint positions. I agree. I think Alonso was outstanding. Fifth and eighth, like Adam said, uh, in the end, it's all turned out well. But Realistically, two... both outstanding in the race to get fifth and eighth. So yeah, absolutely. The two moves on Saturday. First one for me is Ocon's fault, and then the second one is fifty-fifty, maybe slightly more towards Ocon, just because I think I thought the line was a bit weird. I don't know a lot of could have reacted earlier, so I'd stand by fifty-fifty. But like you said, Freddie, there is a wider problem here, and that Esteban Ocon he's had three teammates: Perez, Ricardo, Alonso, and he hasn't gone too well and had incidents with Perez and Alonso and it's quite Andy clear. Andy Andy crashed into Pascal Fairline. Yes. Everyone forgets <laughs> about that. Uh, when they were teammates at Manor. Yeah, for half a season. Yeah. And Abu Dhabi he just clobbered into the side of him. But, but there is a serious problem here. And this Pascal can't Fairline. continue. And like uh I, I just always think this is going to be part of Ocon's uh character. And racing, and it's perhaps why he didn't get the Mercedes seat as well as other reasons, and, and that kind of thing. Because yes, he can be quick, but Alonso's generally been better this year, and it does almost feel like Ocon doesn't like it. And when he gets a chance to be ahead, my God, he fights his teammate harder than anyone else on the grid, and that is just not—it's just insane, quite frankly. You should be doing the complete opposite. You should be fighting your teammate the least compared to your rivals, especially. So, our people were lucky to get the points they did. They got a very good chance now to go forth in Abu Dhabi. I think that will happen because McLaren will need something quite spectacular. But there is a wider problem here with Gasly coming into the city next year. Uh, and, the, you know, they're quite lucky that they didn't do more damage in the sprint race, especially in that second incident uh, on, the, on, on the main straight. Podcast listeners have just missed Freddie stripping and then playing basketball. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think for Ocon, I think to be honest, though, the person who'll be most negatively affected by this is himself because we know he's a fast driver, but he's not, you know, a prodigious talent. He's not a Verstappen or Leclerc or Russell that, you know, could get by completely off just being one of the fastest drivers in the world. And, you know, in... At some point, his career will be on the wind down and, you know, he will need either a bit of goodwill or he will need, you know, potentially to take a role where he is kind of being, you know, the number two driver or the experienced teammate to a younger driver coming through who has a bigger future at the team. So at the moment, yes, he's the Alpine driver that's going to be there next season and Alonso isn't. And there's that there. And, you know, in, in rating point, then he was the better driver over the season. But and there are other factors at play that meant he didn't get kept on. I think at Mercedes, then he wouldn't have got the seat regardless. Um, but, you know, it can't have helped him in that regard. So, yeah, I just, you know, I think at some point in his career, unless he can sort it out, then it will come back to Vitamin next season. Alpine will hope to take a step forward. Um, and, 
you know, he's against someone who he has, as much as they're both trying to hush it, now he has prior history with and they weren't on speaking terms for years. So that just points to another potential, you know, spontaneous combustion on track between them. And it's, yeah, I, I just think at some point this will really come back to bite him and he will lose seats over this and he will lose, you know, his, his career will potentially end earlier unless he can sort this out. Because if you can't trust your driver, um, to follow the team and you know play as a team player even if you're still fighting your position you can play as a team player and if you can't trust your driver to do that then you've got a real problem um and yeah so i think if i was Ocon, it'd be in my best interest to sort it out really but um yeah either of you got anything to add well as we've said alpine have come out of this weekend with a 21, a 19 point lead um, in the Constructors Championship over McLaren, despite things looking pretty bad on Saturday evening. Um, and that was partly because Landon Norris, who's running, I think, in third um, after immediately after the Hamilton Verstappen crash, um, then had a dink of his own and put Leclerc into the wall, although Leclerc was able to continue, which was extremely impressive because I thought he was out. Like I saw him go to the wall and it was like, that is it. Um, but yeah, I was live blogging the race and I didn't, I was midway through typing the Staffan and Hamilton crash and then Leclerc and Norris crash and I didn't know what to do. Um, but yeah, he got a five second penalty for that drop down and I can't actually remember where he finished, which is a bad link from me, but thoughts on the Norris Leclerc incident. No, he's, no, he's, exactly. He's um, yeah. yeah, both he's McLarens are out. That's where. Yeah, he retired. Yeah, both McLarens. It was a pointless weekend. Instead of being for Alpine, it was a pointless weekend. It was a pointless weekend. For Norris got seventh in the sprint. Good point. Good um, two points. Good two, two, two points. Yeah. It was a two-points <laughs> weekend. So that gives him two reasons to be there. Um, but yes, um, Norris just understeered into him. He had the right to hold the position, but he understeered into him. He probably went in a little bit too hot, was a bit too focused, understeered into Leclerc dabbed Leclerc into the wall and Leclerc clearly scrubbed off enough speed and went in at the right angle because fair play to that car for sticking together because I thought both of those, the sides of that wheels of that car was coming off in the same way that happened to um, Magnussen and Ricardo at the start and the same way that happened to other people who've crashed there in the past. And I seem to remember Grosjean and Hamilton, top of my head, have crashed there um, and in, just straight into the wall themselves and were just there stuck in the wall like it's actually quite a hard wall to get out of if you're stuck in it so fair play to ferrari and fair play to the soft wall i uh, i've got one thing to say on that incident. it is exactly the same well very similar to silverstone 2021 and i thought that was Halton's fault so it's norris's fault here because like you said freddie you understood it we misjudged it norris's fault we're really having this conversation again for the 18th. I'm just saying, we haven't got enough very, time. Very Nigel, I asked for a saying. short podcast because I want to I'm go not, to I'm bed. I'm just saying, you, you, you don't have to reply. I'm just saying. No, I don't, you don't have to reply, but Adam can kick you. <laughs> the, the, the podcast listeners and viewers can think about that and go, oh yeah, Nigel, you are right. It was very similar to Silverstone. To be fair, yeah. Hamilton was given a 10-second penalty, so should um was Norris penalised too leniently? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Interesting. So, that's that's what we've said in the race. But anyway, um, <laughs> where do you think Leclerc could have come if it wasn't for that? Fourth. Where he finished. Fourth. Could have been. Could have been five. third. Well, he had that bad qualifying. Perez was still there, wasn't he? I think he could have been close to Hamilton. I think his mm. pace was better. I, I, I think he was a match for science on raw pace. I. I I disagree with what you said earlier, Freddie, about him being a bit slower than Sides. I think he was at least a match. And I think he would have definitely been third, if not closer to the Mercedes. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he would have got third. Um, I don't know if he could have been in the battle for them, and I think it's probably just Ferrari weren't there this weekend. But um, but yeah, I think he would have locked down third, really. Or it would have been... I don't know, that's on pace. It could have been some mental Ferrari strategy at the pit stop where they uh, sorry the safety car where they pit him twice just to get him on better ties each time and whatever so nothing would surprise me with Ferrari but yeah I think I think he would have had third barring kind of any mentalness at the pit stop yeah 
Brendan's helicoptering his microphone. Um, and more incidents. The last incident, I think, that we have to talk about because it was an incident-laden Brazilian Grand Prix. Actually, quickly, where where do, where would you put this in Grand Prix this season? Because for me, it's just as a weekend. Oh, okay. Um, as a Grand Prix weekend. Uh, as a weekend was very fun. High. As a weekend, top three as a weekend. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I really as, as enjoyed a race, it. There's a race probably top six or seven. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd have to think. How about you, Adam? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking the same. I mean, it is, it is right up there. I'm just trying to... I don't really want to have an opinion yet because the race finished for me... Might be number one. race finished for us about an hour and a half ago. Yeah. So just, you know, recency bias and all. Yeah, oh, well, look out for our Abu Dhabi preview where I'll ask Freddie again and he will have had time to think about it and we'll have a comprehensive list. No, I mean, in this kind of thing is the thing you kind of say in like, January, but anyway. Oh well, tune in in January for our <laughs> comprehensive list then. Um, but yeah, the um, Magnussen Ricardo incident on the first lap. Magnussen was the third highest favourite to be um, the first DNF driver, which I thought was quite harsh before the race, considering he got pole, and then he was. So you know, that's considering it's only his second ever first lap retirement, mm. that's very harsh. Yeah. That's um, Maybe they thought he would. Have, no one would retire on the first lap. It would all go to the second lap. Yeah, it might be true. Um, <laughs> but also, entirely Daniel Ricciardo's fault for me. Yeah, it was clumsy. Like, he wasn't going for the overtake, but he clearly misjudged his break. He was half going speed. for the overtake, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah, I agree. And he wasn't defending. Got, yeah, and then he got punished for it after. I mean, that's the first yeah. time I've seen an accident there. I think, like, and at that part, yeah. like on the right hand side of the track at that corner. So they, they've done, they've done well to done that. But yeah, Ricardo. I would point there? out in an online race on Grand Turismo Seven, I was hitting the rear there actually. Um, it was like an online. I lost the race lobby race though. Like it was that kind of incident, really. I thought it was just kind of someone misjudging it and pranking. Um, well, and it looked like he got on the power too early and then just fender bended. To be honest, and. I don't know because it looked like the Ricardo would have made the corner, but he just didn't react quickly enough to Magnussen reacting to cars in front and just went into the back of him. It's just you know that's kind of what you're supposed to deal with on the first lap of a Grand Prix, and particularly you know cars are going to be a bit slower, and I think Ricardo just misjudged that, and you know clumsy. drivers clumsy. will do have done it before and will do it again. It is just clumsy, and when you're a driver, sort of not leaving in disgrace but you know what i mean like losing losing his position in formula one and losing his sort of reputation it doesn't save anything for you yeah uh, yeah i think it's it's a really it's a sad way for him to be um going out but for the person it was a sad end to Magnussen's um weekend as well because he had the most <laughs> unbelievable of pole positions um yeah, it's if yes, yay. I just yay, didn't. Magnuson. I just didn't like. Yay. He, he would be one of one of the last drivers. If you had to pick a random yay. pole, he's still on the <laughs> like the last drivers I'd have thought would get a random pole position. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was obviously there was a lot of elements of fortune uh, there in that the session ended. Yeah. You know, kind of red flagged, and then no one could improve. But he set the lap. Yeah, he did. He set the lap, even even with the fortune of. A mic in clement conditions. They're in clement conditions for everyone, and everyone could have gone to the pit lane, end of the pit lane first. To my knowledge, has went to the end of the went went to go to that pit lane before anyone else even moved. They didn't just try and jump in front of someone. So they they put the front foot forward anyway, and earned the pole position with a good lap. Um, you know, they just did well. Yeah, everyone had that one lap to do it. And Magnussen was fastest out of everyone, apart from the Chloe, who was on intermediates, obviously. <laughs> apart from him, uh, let's not talk about Mag that. Yeah, Magnussen was fastest, so a superb job. It was similar to kind of Hulkenberg 2010 in Brazil 12 years ago, just from nowhere. Probably, the, well, yeah, well, it's the best moment of pass in F1 so far. Uh, just extraordinary, like to do it, like mostly, I'd say, on pure raw pace to be able to get to Cuba and then to beat everyone on that one lap shootout effectively. Incredible stuff. Such skill. Just a shame he didn't get 
Uh, he only got one point from the whole weekend from the sprint as his reward for that. But just as a moment, you know, has to be one of the moments of, of, of the year, quite frankly, just a superb job. It's a good map moment for Haas, isn't it? Mm. Um, going into the off-season to point to a pole position, very good. Yeah. Very good you've, business. You've had that in the last three... Well, last year you had Ocon winning in Hungary. The year before you had uh, Perez winning in um, Sakir and Stroll taking pole and Gasly. Um, and now you've had Magnussen. And Norris pole last year. Mm. Um, and of course this year we've had... Um, Six pole sitters, I'm pretty sure, in saying. I don't yeah, remember six. the last time we had that. Yeah, and only five. We've had less race winners, which is unusual because usually just more race winners than, than pole sitters. Mm. So that's unusual as well. And we have had four debut pole sitters. Yeah. Yeah. In Perez, Sainz, Magnussen, and Russell, yeah. which is interesting. I, I, I can only assume the first time that happened, the only other time that happened was the like one of the first years, but it might not have been. It might never happen. I don't know. I need to check everyone's paperwork to see when that last happened. Send us a tweet uh, if you know when it happened. No one's going to send us a tweet. But... Plug all the Twitters, Nigel. Uh, at Nigel C. Journal, at Fred Colts 1999, at Adam Dickinson, at Winging It F1. Yes. There we go. No different account. That's four accounts there. Mm. Yeah, it's <laughs> all not on Twitter. One. Not all, not, Mastodon. <laughs> not all just out in one. Um, but yeah, I think as either of you got anything you want to add on the Sao Paulo Grand Prix in Brazil at Interlagos? I, I just really enjoyed it. And, you know, to be fair, to, to like, you know, you, you alluded to the beginning, but it gives me hope for some sprints, to be honest. It does give me hope um, that they can be interesting because it was very exciting. Um, and I really enjoyed it. So let's hope if they pick the right tracks, it'll be good. Because in my opinion, two out of three sprints this year have been pretty good races. So, Nigel, have you got hope? I always have hope, Adam. Really? <laughs> Nigel's never had hope. He, he He's just... <laughs> yeah. If I didn't have hope, I wouldn't be doing this podcast and talking to you right now. <laughs> oh, well, that's a nice sentiment then. Do you oh, have hope for yeah. sprint races? Uh, yes, I do, actually. A bit. A bit. Yay. Still not, still not my cup of tea, uh, but yeah. No, we shouldn't be having. Right, have a coffee at this point, anyway. It's nearly have ten an o'clock. Iron brew, and that means it's time for us to finish. But yeah, thank you very much for listening. Tune in next week to hear our thoughts on the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix to finish out the year. Will Lewis Hamilton get his win of the season? Then probably not, but we shall talk no. about. It. <laughs> so thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the race and the whole weekend as much. Thank as you, everyone. Did. And goodbye. Bye. Have a good week.